podcast is part of the Podcast Your Scene Network. Visit us at www.podcastyourscene.com. Hey, it's Bill from Build the Scene. You're listening okay. to Three Questions and a Song, episode number 40. With me tonight is Eric Winger. What's up, Eric? What's going on, Bill? How you doing? I'm doing well. What's going on, interwebs? Eric, Eric used to live not far from where I am. Um, right. He's been right here in, in okay. AKA Music Scene Studios. You see those air quotes a couple times. It's probably been 15 years since he's been 15 here. 15 years. Without any further ado, I'm going to give a little explanation as to where this question came from. And it kind of just all fell right in into place. Okay. So earlier this week, D. Snyder took a shot at Gene and Paul because, again, he doesn't like that Eric Singer and, I saw and uh, that. I saw Tommy that. Thayer are wearing the Catman and Spaceman makeup. Yeah. And then... I was at my mom's house yesterday and she was all excited because she's making me masks to wear in my classroom. And um, she was making a kiss one and I <laughs> picked it up and I looked at it and 100% the make the fake, the, the makeup is in the shape of Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer's faces. Yeah. Like no doubt. Cause sure. Tommy has a much wider chin than, than Ace did. Yeah. And I picked it up and I started laughing. She's like, oh, no, what's wrong? I'm like, calm down. <laughs> um, it's focus. <laughs> and uh, and I've seen I've seen Peter and Ace. I've seen Tommy. I've seen Eric. Um, clearly, I've seen Paul and Gene. But um, my question to you is, it's kind of a two parter. Um, <clears throat> and since you're in a, a kiss tribute band called Kiss Alive and um, clearly a kiss fan, it, it just all fell right into place that I can ask this question. What what are your feelings about the, them wearing the makeup? And what do you think the best lineup was through the years? That's a great question. Um, that's a touchy subject amongst <laughs> KISS fans. Uh, I think you got to, I'm a realist. And and of course, the KISS that we remember, the, well, the KISS that is responsible for it all is and will always be Gene, Paul, Ace, Peter. That is the prime lineup. Um, Peter wasn't the best drummer in the band, but he was the drummer that kind of defined that sound. He was kind of like a jazz, a jazzy drummer and a heavy metal band. Um, he was the band's Ringo. Like the Beatles would not sound like the Beatles with another drummer kiss. Or, or Metallica's it, Lars. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I have a funny story with, with Metallica relating to kiss. I'll get to in a moment, but, uh, Peter, just as much as Ace's signature licks, uh, made that sound. Peter's drums made it. When Eric Singer or when Eric Carr came in, it became a much heavier band. Like if you listen to to that stuff, mm -hmm. Creatures of the Night, and the uh, they were a much heavier band. So definitely Peter, Ace, Gene, and Paul. We wouldn't have Kiss without it. It was it wasn't just the four people, and it was it was it was just a chemistry. You know, they each brought their own personality to the the makeup designs that they chose now all of that being said if we want to be um really strict with our definition of what kiss is then kiss would not exist if it had to be peter ace gene and paul just would not exist it probably would have stopped existing 15 years ago and a lot of people might argue that it did stop existing 15 years ago peter is 74 
And if you watch the, I've seen Kiss about 15 times. The last time I saw them, the farewell tour, or the end of the road tour. The farewell tour was in 2001. <laughs> I was at I, that one. I, I saw at that one. I saw that one too. Um, I will say, like the best times musically I've seen Kiss. I'm sad to say it, but it's it's true. It was not with Peter Nace. Um, throughout the reunion tour, Ace was Peter was 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 solid but he was using drum triggers the whole time so peter's always had issues with carpal tunnel so he'll hit the drum with the drum trigger he just needs to touch the drum with the stick and then the trigger you know amplifies the sound makes so like he's he's just barely doing this like he's barely hitting it um and that was in the 90s during the reunion tour so imagine 24 years later he's he's just I don't know what he'd be able to do behind the kit, but he couldn't do a show. Um, that's why Kiss didn't reunite the original members at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Gene and Paul just like, listen, I don't want to tarnish what we've created by having us get up and play. Now, Ace, through the years, when Ace was not clean, when he was still drinking and drugging, he was just really, really sloppy. But um, I've seen Ace... Uh, a few times the past few years and he's better now than he's probably been playing since the late seventies. I think, I think he's, you know, aside from in the seventies, I think he's playing now as good as he's ever played. So I think kiss could reunite with ACE and I would, I wouldn't be surprised to see ACE do some shows. Now ACE has said publicly, like I'm not stepping on stage um, to play with kiss if this schmuck's wearing my makeup, I'm going to wear my makeup too, or he's not going to wear that show. So I think Ace has some more bargaining chips than uh, Peter does. Um, do I think Peter could rally for a song or two on a couple of dates? I think he could. I don't think he could play a whole show. I don't really think he probably wants to. Um, I think Tommy and Eric uh, have done a great job of keeping this thing going. And I, I think what people really object to is is not that there's different guys in the band, but there's different guys in the band, and they are wearing that sake like that's Ace's face. You can't put Ace's face on, man. It's not cool. Well, you know, along the same lines though, when when Vinny joined, that yeah. make his makeup was terrible. <laughs> the Egypt, yeah, the Egyptian onk. Yeah, man, and Eric Carr's the fox. Like like Kiss, uh, Gene and Paul have publicly said many many times. You know it's ridiculous to think that we're just going to create all these different face characters because somebody decides to leave the band. Like this is the character that Peter was playing was the cat man. Ace's character was the spaceman. Uh, a lot of people don't like that. I mean, you can make a solid argument for that, but at the end of the day, Ace and Peter, well, at least Peter did. Peter signed over the rights to his makeup. Ace argues that he still retains it. Yeah. I, I think Ace gets, gets um some money like yeah it's licensed we know peter was peter was take uh, was fired right uh at the end of the dynasty tour and i think it was shandy video or the shandy video maybe um that they filmed it and then but peter had already been fired and it was the last official business that peter did with kiss um for the unmasked album shandy which wasn't a bad album it just didn't do anything really in the states it 
it was kind of popular. It was pretty big in Australia. But Peter left. But Peter was smart. I mean, he just got fired. But remember, he was still a 25% business owner of KISS LTD. So for years after Peter left the band, he was a 25% owner still. And then once Ace left, I don't know if Ace was bought out. And then I don't think Peter relinquished his share until 1987 or maybe later. But it was it was some time. Um, but, I, you know, I love the band. The the, I'm, the tribute band I'm in is it's uh, it's tricky. There's so there, there is a Kiss tribute band called Kiss Alive. We're Kiss Alive, the tribute. So the tribute ah. is added at the end of it. We have a Facebook page. Um, check us out. Uh, I play Peter in that band, and uh, it's a, it's a really fun it's a really fun gig. We're we're doing a sh uh, reality TV show, off against the mighty incredible Mr. Speed. And Mr. Speed, I think, is 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 one of the if not the best Kiss tribute bands out there. They they originally were from Pittsburgh. And I met them in the 90s. I sat in with them a few times and played drums in Norm Nardini. I don't know if you remember that guy. Local Pittsburgh He's, music legend. He is still playing. Yeah. Well, Norm Nardini's studio. Well, here's the funny story with this. So anyways, 96 probably. The reunion tour was going on. I was um, – I met Rich, who was their Paul Stanley, through a friend, Dell, And they needed a Peter. I was in college. They invited me to come audition – and so I went to Norm Nardini's studio where they rehearsed, right? Norm's a Pittsburgh icon, for those of you who don't know. Great, great guitar player. Now, here's an interesting tidbit with Norm that relates to Kiss. And Norm came in to tell us these stories. So in the 70s, Norm was in a band called Diamond Rio, not to be confused with the country band, the same name. Uh, Norm was in this band called Diamond Rio that actually opened up for Kiss on the tour that Alive was recorded in 1975. So we had all these stories about how their Marshall stacks on stage were empty. <laughs> they just wanted it to look huge, but they wouldn't let them, you know, shine lights on the speaker cabinets. Like a lot of the audience noise was piped in through the PA, like just crazy creative stuff, you know, cause that's what Kiss does. But um, so anyways, Mr. Speed, great band. Uh, we're Kiss Alive, the tribute and the concept of this show, it's called Tribute Band or Tribute Wars USA, something like that. Forgive me for getting it if I get it wrong. It's filming in Hollywood, Florida at the Hard Rock Casino, but the bands are from all over the country. It just happens to be in, in, in my backyard. I live in Orlando, so it's two, two three hours away. But every night, um, I think there's 13 episodes the first season. So there's, there's going to be a Led Zeppelin night, a Heart night, an ELO night, a Poison night, a Kiss night that we're doing. Every night, two bands that pay tribute to the same artist are going face to face. So we get, we we tape live on March third at, at the Hollywood Hard Rock, and tickets are available. Come see the taping, and then it'll be on TV eventually. That's all I know, but we're really excited for it. Um, they're a great band. We're a great band. So we we've always focused on more of the early, leaner, hungry years of Kiss, like Alive, like seventy four, seventy five, seventy six. I think Mr. Speed just did a whole Dynasty costume and stage setup, and it looks magnificent. So. So that's going to be uh, it's going to be that. I watched um, a live video where they talked about changing their costumes for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's funny. Well, I'll, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. So it's just going to come down to you know we got to be in our A game. I'm sure they're going to bring their A game, and it just comes down to, um, I guess, who was more convincing, you know.
So we'll see. But uh, so I enjoy doing that. I will say a, a day for us with that band is like being in a Kiss tribute band is it's ridiculous amount of fun um, because our we have we have a really like Kiss we have some really intense and loyal fans because you know they understand that we just love the band and we're fans of the band and we we know we're not Kiss but we are trying to give you the most authentic Kiss experience that we can. Um, and it makes, we just, it's a celebration of the band and the music. It's so much fun. So a typical night for us when we do a show is we load in all of our gear. We bring lots of stuff, fire, pyro, um, <clears throat> and the big kiss sign that lights up, uh, sirens, all this stuff. And they do firehouse. We do firehouse. we got the hat. So, um, but we, so if we have an eight o'clock show, then we're loading in around 10 or 11 a.m. Uh, getting set up. We have a, a, a great uh, road chief that goes with us. He's, he's, man, he's so amazing. And he's just, he's a loyal friend and he's a workhorse for the band. His name is Frank Avila and we love him. Um, he's, he's our fifth man and he, and he brings his girl, uh, Sabrina, and she's incredible. And they just come and uh frank has several remotes to run all the tricks and whistles during the show while we're playing you know gets gene's blood ready gets gene's fire ready for the sword you know for the fire breathing so but we 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 load in early that we sound check early because you know some of them are really good with makeup i'm not i'm still learning it it's 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 I'm hard glad, i'm glad you brought that up because i was trying not to waste a question on that oh no no it's <laughs> it's really hard it's really hard. Like, so our uh, Paul John is just great. He he helps me. Jimmy, our ace, uh, helps me a lot. I've I've gone on and looked at pictures and read how Kiss does it, and we kind of we do the same process. So, you know, you got to start with the kind of do the white almost everywhere, right? And you got to pout. Then then we take Q-tips. Or then we know we take a, a black eyeliner and we draw the patterns over the white. We take Q-tips and clean the white out of the inside where the black or silver or whatever is going to go. And then we powder. And then we delicately do all the other stuff. And it's it takes a while, but John helps me a lot. So because he helps me a lot, he does his makeup last, but I'm the first one done, so he has time. So I'm often like fully suited up, made up. Got the wig on. I had a custom wig made by my buddy Justin that looks amazing, and uh, I'm ready to go two hours for the show. I'm already so that I'm trying to eat food and not mess up my lipstick. And <laughs> but uh, so it is it is challenging. Um, what's incredible though, with like you just got to powder it because we go out there if we're playing an outdoor show. I mean, we're in Florida. If we're playing an outdoor show, it's unbearably hot no matter how many fit. the last gig we did was at a harley davidson dealership in the middle of the day i think it was like a one o'clock or a two o'clock downbeat it's for a big harley party out in their parking lot and it was 95 degrees i think you know and we're wearing makeup on our faces you know but i always the interesting thing about it is when i'm playing and i get really physical and i have fans blowing on me but like when we're playing like 
but then we usually open with Deuce or like Psycho Circus or occasionally Detroit Rock City. But like by the second song, I'm looking over at Frank and I'm going, is this messed up? Because I just feel sweat pouring down my face. And what's incredible is like, no, the make it, it's not. I'm sweating underneath it. So <laughs> the powder really affixes it there. And I am, I am drenched. But like, if you're right up close, you might see minor, really minor, like flaws once the sweating starts. But like from the audience, it looks fresh and new and it looks great. And so it's, it's uh, basically, I'm trying to get more self um, sufficient and applying the makeup. Basically John will draw or Jimmy will draw the shapes and we'll, we'll do the, do the outline and I'll just do all the coloring in once I'm not going to mess anything up. But, um, so one comment I do have, I I've only been to Orlando one time Yeah, and it was, I think it was 91, but the heat index was 99 and we were at Disney, mm-hmm. with, which is all blacktop. I've never been so hot in my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now it's- I, if I if I remember correctly, you worked at um, Universal Studios, correct? I've I've worked at Disney and Universal Studios, yeah. And um, both, they were both music, correct? Yeah. So let, let me let me finish. Let me, please, I'm please gonna do. Make, I'm going to yes. make this the, the second question. So okay. Um, I also know that when you were back here in Pennsylvania, you were in a acapella band. Um, play, you mentioned you play piano, you play guitar, you play drums. So this one, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this one kind of wide open. Okay. I, I kind of fill in what your musical history has been up until this point. And okay, a great. music teacher, right? I was, I was a choir teacher. Okay. So y'all got time? Y'all got we some have, time? We, we have, have anywhere time. to be? All right. <laughs> so the story of my life by Velva Jones. No, just kidding. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Catanning. Up Route 28, uh, probably a lot of people from Catanning that watch this. Small town. What was amazing about Catanning and, and when I grew up, and I grew up, so I just turned 45. So I was in the 80s and 90s. That's when I was really digging into music as a young kid. Um, my dad was a frustrated drummer. He's air drummer. While he'd walk out, he'd walk around the house with his head with his Walkman, his headphones in, while he's painting, just air drumming and screaming Zeppelin kiss, whatever at the top of his lungs. So, um, but I became bitten with the music bug pretty young. And in, in, in seventh grade, I got my first drum set because I wanted to be Peter Chris really bad. Um, like 13 year old Eric would be really thrilled with what 45 year old Eric is doing. Now. Um, I, I got my first drum kit and in seventh grade, I met this gangly, nerdy kid in Mrs. Rumbaugh's English class. He was a new kid. You know, Catanning's a small town when there's a, you know, everybody. And this kid I'd never seen before. So he was new from, he was from Carbondale, Pennsylvania, up near Scranton. His name was Brad Satorka. And one day I had this, I had this jean jacket that I used to wear every day. It's like a Levi's dark blue denim jean jacket. I had my kiss patches. The back patch was a winger back patch. Ha. The first album cover which I saw them on their first tour at the Syria mosque. With you, you, know, you know how you have no idea how important what you just said was keep going. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a great band. Anybody that tells Beavis and Butthead can 
<laughs> Winger's a great band. So, anyways, I met Brad, and uh, you know, I I walked around with in my jean jacket, I had drumsticks, and I just pound on desks all the time. And he walked back to me one day, and goes, "Hey, you're a drummer, how huh? you like Kiss?" He's like, "I'm like, yeah, I'm a drummer, pretty good." I wasn't, <laughs> but I thought it was. And Brad's like, "Well, I like Kiss too. I play guitar." I'm like, "Okay, all right." So we arranged to uh, get together, and uh, he had a Univox uh, semi-hollow body guitar, and he had a Marlboro amp. I think it was a Marlboro amp, a little crappy, maybe like 30-watt piece of crap. And I had a Pearl export kit, and uh, Brad and I would get together after school. We'd either go to my house or his house every day for literally the next five or six years till we graduated and just play music. We were in bands with, you know, all those great people, but they're like, you know, Mike Starr and Doug Seth and Ryan Rumbarger and, uh, geez, all these people, um, Ben Valasek. Uh, we, we just had bands or musical chairs. We just all jumped around different bands, but there was an amazing amount of musicianship in that town. Like back in the day, like we had, Bill Roncher and Joe Roskowski doing mad, crazy things at like GIT. I, I have and not heard could, Joe Roncher's name in a long time. Yeah. Oh, I, Brad and I played in band. Like Bill, Bill was like so cool. We had this, um, he had an ESP, George Lynch Kamikaze. And I have a really great George Lynch story too. Um, he had a George Lynch Kamikaze. He's really into Lynch. Lynch was probably one of his biggest influences. And when I was like in eighth grade, ninth grade, like Bill was like the king guy. He had just got out of high school. Tyrus, his band was like really Tyrus. I think they were really big. And, and Chris Lohr was the one that was uh, singing and playing in that. And uh, Chris is in Nashville now, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's in Nashville. He's, he's doing his thing and he's, I, I, I hear he's really successful with it. Um, but Bill would like come play with Brad. We put a band together and just like ask Bill to come play it. And he would like, we're like, you're way too good to play with us but i don't know why i did it but he did it and i just always thought still to this day that that was really cool i think bill's stand-up guy now my george lynch story i want to take a slight detour um my buddy has a band in town uh, uh, gosh he's paul drennan's his name he's a bass player amazing guitar player this guy's just amazing guitar plays that rockabilly stuff like nobody's business play blues he just got it and he's one of those guys that he plugs the les paul into an amp and just has gain, like doesn't need the fancy pedals to sound good. It's it's all here, and he's just amazing. We plays bass in another band called Blandini, and Je Blandini is led by Jeff Blando, who is uh, Mark Slaughter's guitarist and Vince Neil's guitarist in their solo bands. With Will Hunt, who plays drums, and Will Hunt uh, was in Evanescence for years, so. Uh, we go to see Blandini at the Seminole Hard Rock up in Sanford. This is probably, gosh, a year ago, year and a half ago, maybe. And um, because George Lynch started playing with the band. So it was Blando on guitar, my buddy Paul um, on, on, on bass. And uh, the drummer was really cool, really flamboyant. Um, he reminded me of Blas Elias from Slaughter because he would throw his sticks around and he'd stand up and do um, Z Z Zoltar. What's the drummer's name? Zoltar. It's his actual name. But George Lynch would come and sit in like he'd been playing with him. 
And so we go to the show and, and cause we know the band, you know, we, I, George is on stage, you know, warming up and my buddy Richie and I who introduced me to Paul, we just go up on stage and I'm just talking to George Lynch and I'm like, uh, and he was playing through a Marshall stack and an Eddie Van Halen 5150 cab and a head for each of them. And I just remember thinking like, how am I on stage with George Lynch talking about guitars and gear? And I, and I just, I thought of just that time, the eighties, early nineties, when that kind of music was ruling the world, but um, really cool players still, still great and uh, really humble, nice guy. So anyways, go back. Brad and I were great friends, um, had a lot of bands. And then I was a singer primarily. I did all the musicals and stuff and had fun, but I started singing with professional choirs of adults, like when I was a junior in college or junior in high school, rather. And we would go to, like I sang with the Bach Choir of Pittsburgh, and we would just kind of tour around Western Pennsylvania, Johnstown, and 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 do concerts with the Johnstown Symphony Orchestra and some other. We do like some great works. Um, and then the but the big choir in town was always uh, the Mendelssohn Choir. That they they were the choir that sang with the Pittsburgh Symphony. They were the choir that did a residency at Heinz Hall, and Robert Page was their conductor and. And so I, I auditioned and, and became the first high school kid ever uh, to sing in that choir my senior year. And it was so much fun. And I loved Robert Page, one of the greatest choral minds we've seen uh, the past hundred years. And But he was instrumental in me going to Carnegie Mellon where I studied opera. Um, he was my, I was a voice major and he was the choir director at, at Carnegie Mellon. So I graduated in 97. And uh, during that time, I played in rock and roll in some bands and had some fun. And but I was my my studies were really stressful and it's a you know really competitive environment. So I I tried to just really focus on what I had to do at Carnegie Mellon. Then I graduated and I wanted to play rock and roll. So I loaded up my car with some drums and recording gear and my acoustic guitar and I moved down to Fort Pierce, Florida, where my friend Brad had moved. Uh, right after high school and it was in Fort Pierce that I got was hired to do my first show at Disney which was a an acapella pre-show to the Beauty and the Beast stage show we were we were four guys we came out before the Beauty and the Beast show at Hollywood Studios now it used to be MGM now it's Hollywood Studios Disney's Hollywood Studios we came out dressed in tech gear and started setting up microphones we started sound checking them and then we'd start, then we'd break out into song. And it was, it was the dream gig. It was so much fun. And uh, that show was there for 14 years and I was in it for 10 of those years. Um, I sang in an acapella group, as you mentioned, back in Catanning with the uh, distinguished gentleman, distinguished right? gentleman. Yes. That was, that started because we, our senior, Brian Schaefer, who your listeners will probably know, uh, Brian Schaefer and I, he's also like, it's, all-time greatest friends in the world. Like I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. He'll be in my second wedding, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, no, uh, we auditioned for the musical, which was The Music Man, and we didn't get Harold Hill. We thought we were gonna, We thought either one of us was going to get Harold Hill, but our buddy Brett Kitko did. Instead, we were cast as the barbershop quartet with Daniel Atwood 
and Tom Childs. And uh, while the whole cast was great, like uh, Kelly Rood was Mary and the Librarian and Brett Kitko was Harold Hill, um, we kind of stole the show a little bit. And after the musical ended, we started getting calls from like uh, to come sing at a mother-daughter banquet, to come sing at a VFW or the Elks Club. And so we realized we kind of like singing together. So we had to learn a bunch of other songs that uh, so we could sing more than the songs that we had in the show. And it kind of went from there. And then we discovered more contemporary acapella, like rockapella and the house jacks. And, and uh, we kind of morphed over the years to do more contemporary stuff. But we, we did a lot of fun stuff. We sang quite frequently with the Marcells. We added Ben Balasek and became a five piece, which was a smart move. Uh, we sang with the Marcells that sang Blue Moon. So bah, 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 bah. That, we sang with those guys all the time. We sang the Vogues who had the theme song for the Drew Carey show, I think. It's a five o'clock world and a whistle blows. They had a theme, a theme song for, not no, Drew Carey was Cleveland Rocks. They had a theme song for some kind of TV show, I thought. Um, and we sang with the monkeys in front of 56,000 people was a, that was the, that was the highlight of our, our career. So I loved acapella music. So when I finally got to do it at Disney, that was a lot of fun. And then played in some bands in town, got back into that scene. But then I, I did take a, I took a, uh, a break from the full-time performing thing right at, uh, in, in 2002, I started an 11 year career as a school teacher. And I did um, middle school choir. I spent two years at Glen Ridge Middle School. And then I went to Liberty Middle School and I did seven years there. And uh, I ended at Meadowoods Middle School and did two years there. And by year, at the end of year 11, I was, I was so burned out. Like, I love the kids. The kids are the best part. Um, I keep in contact with as many of them as I can. And when I see them or run into them, which has happened a few times, it's just, it's a great joy. Um, that was the best part of the job. I just was burned out. I was burned out and I was getting older and I realized that, you know, I want to just go sing and play guitar and make music. And the older you get there, I mean, there's a shelf life for it, you know, and I'm in a great town for it. The opportunity is here with the theme parks, the conventions and the clubs. Like, so I left teaching in 2013 and have been fully freelanced independent musician since then you know i've um been really lucky and really blessed i've been able to travel the world been to china been to philippines we just literally a month before covid came we uh i sing in a frankie valley tribute show called the atlantic city boys and we do a lot of cruise ships a lot of um performing arts centers around the country, but we had done a short little tour of Australia from Melbourne to Sydney. And, uh, that was so much fun. Um, we came back uh, and did Vegas, uh, two weeks after we got back from Australia and I got back, we, we've played Vegas for, we do a weekend of shows at the South Point Casino, either February or March every year for the past. I think this was our fifth year we've done it. And, uh, so life was good. And I was playing in a new band at Epcot, which I had been playing in for past seven years since I left teaching 2013 called British Revolution. We played at the UK Pavilion at Epcot at Disney World. And so 
this is how crazy it's been. So, you know, February, get back from Australia, hop off a cruise ship, fly home, stay home for a couple of weeks. Then we go to Vegas for the week. And uh, we got back from Vegas. We flew back from Vegas on a red eye on March 8th. And I was, we literally did, done a show that night. I was already miserable because at dinner before the second night of shows, I bit down on a piece of steak and there was a bone in it. And I cracked, oh. I cracked this back tooth. Like I cracked it completely to the root. And so I would be okay. But if anything got anywhere near there, as you know, tooth pain is like the worst in the world. So I had to do like, two shows with like ridiculous amounts of pain. And, uh, I came home, got, flew home on a red eye. So we did our show Sunday night. And as soon as the show was over, we went to the airport, flew home. I got home at like six 30 in the morning, East coast time. And just was sick as a dog. And I had, this was March 8th. So I had, and I had like a high fever, a dry cough, so I see I went, where you're going with this. Well, well, we'll see. Yeah. So I went, I went to now remember like, so if you look at a map, like China is up here, Australia is here. It's not that ridiculously far from each other. Um, and this was early in the pro like we were aware of this COVID thing, but we weren't really like upsetting our life yet. We, we thought, we wondered, you know, is, is our Australia show going to be canceled? No. Is Vegas going to be canceled? No? Okay, cool. So, you know, we do a show. You do a theater show for hundreds or thousands of people. You, We go out in the lobby and shake hands and hug and kiss everybody after the show. And so I get, one of our guys was sick in Vegas. I got sick when I got home and I went to the walk-in clinic and uh, I tested I had them, they did a flu A and B test on me and I came back negative for both of those, but there was no COVID test available to give. So they just sent me home with antibiotics that didn't really do anything, but about five or six days later, I was okay. I just got better. And then a couple weeks later, my brother got sick. So, uh, fast forward to March 15th, we find out that our show at Disney is we find out that Disney's actually closing for two weeks. They're going to close until April 1st, which wasn't the case. They closed much longer than that. But a day after Disney announced they were closing, they called our show producer and said, um, we know you've, we've had you for nine years here. Your band's been here for nine years. We just we're hemorrhaging money, having to pay all these salaries while the parks are not open. So we have to cancel your contract. So even when the parks come back, your band won't be there. And that was a tough one because I didn't anticipate that. It was it was one of the best gigs I'd ever had. You know, you get to go to work every day at Disney World, put on a guitar and play Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> and play the Beatles and play the Who and play all this incredible music. And uh, that's my job. You know, it was so great. Um, so that was a heartbreaker. March 13th was the date where I was told that I was going to be working from home for two weeks. Oh yeah. And then yeah. they, did they, did they end up just getting rid of your school year altogether? Uh, we taught from, I, I taught from my kitchen using zoom. Did you make it to the end of the year? We did. That's awesome. Wow. And um, we just started to, this past Thursday. We went back 
We're in the, yeah. in the building full time. Um, I will tell you, wearing a mask from 7.30 a.m. until 3 p.m., not liking that. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. That's but, hard. Um, I, I, I've had to, well, since we lost our job, you know, I sat at home and uh, a week later, my, my baby sister on, on uh, March 23rd died. I'm sorry. I didn't Unexpectedly of, of a drug overdose. And uh, one week before her 37th birthday. And she left behind a 16-year-old, 12-year-old, and a 7-year-old who were wonderful kids. Um, no father in the picture, but my parents have were already pretty much raising the kids. So that was the, the second week of COVID, the worst part of it, for sure. You know, it was – it's still it's still bad. You know, we're still dealing with that. And uh, it just became evident really soon that, okay, this isn't going to be over in a month. No matter – like we're, we're social distancing, we're quarantining, it's not going to be over. Um, so the entire calendar of events for musicians just – disappeared if you had anything on the calendar for you know even into 2021 take it off so yep. i started doing like what am i going to do you know i don't want to i don't want to just sit on unemployment and expect the government to feed me all the, like i want to be productive i can work like what am i going to do so i started a buddy of mine uh a retired navy chief who has a business uh called mobility plus and what he does is he installs chairlifts for disabled veterans and like i said he's retired he's you know and he's not doing it to make money he's doing it to serve and give back because that's what this kind of man that he is so he reached out to me and said you know i know you're down and out i'd like to pay you good money cash you have to claim it if you'll come and help me on these job sites so it's been amazing. I've, I've gone, I've kind of learned a new trade. I mean, he still does most of the work, but whatever he needs done, I do it. I just kind of bring, you know, an extra body and a good attitude. And if I can tell you how touched I've been, um, how touched I've been meeting some of these amazing men and women, you know, we, we, we did a chairlift for a vet. Who I think lost the use of his legs when he was like, 29 or 30, you know, makes you think like, I am so fortunate and blessed. Thank you, God, you know. Um, so I pivoted to that. It, it, but those jobs only came up once every couple of weeks, you know. So I would do private Zoom concerts for people and it, it proved to be pretty lucrative. But I think you can only go to that well so often, so, be, be, yep. be, you know, like I, I made like the first one I did. Like I played for an hour and like walked away with like stupid amount of money through just like, like 1300 bucks. And then I did it. That was a private one. Then I did a public one for Facebook and uh, I made almost like over 600 of that one. It was great, you know? And, uh, and I figured that's probably all I can do. So I've just been pivoting from career to career since then, but uh, music's always been my passion. You know, it's always will be my passion and I'll get back to it eventually. You know, So, a long-winded answer to a to a very short question uh but i i left it wide open (laughs) good all right 
Um, so what we're going to do next, um, I'm going to play with your original ballerina. But before we do that, yeah, um, let's do that uh, VH1 storyteller thing. And, and you tell us a little bit about that song. Okay. So, so ballerina is, it will be the lead track off of the CD that I started recording. Wait for it. July 25th and 26th of 2006. No excuse. Uh, I started it. Um, so interesting story. At that time, I had just sold a house, just had my heart broken, and I wrote a great album worth of material, largely centered around this girl. And I remember reaching out to a local guitarist producer who's just he's he's an incredible guitar player named Angelo Giannotti. And because uh, I, I wanted to get these songs down, I thought, you know what, let me make a record. I've got a little bit of cash because I had profits left over from my house. And I sent Angelo a couple demos I had done. He's like, yeah, I want to do this. This is fun. So Angelo, uh, he's like, let me. I knew the bass player I wanted to use was was a guy that I played with in my worship band at church. He was just incredible. His name was Jeff Halsey. And for drummers, I was just coming up empty. I knew I wanted to play the guitar as much as possible, even though I had Angelo willing to play anything and he could play circles around me, but it was kind of an ego pride thing. Like I wrote these songs on guitar. I've kind of worked out the parts to them. I want to do all the guitar. I want the guitar to all be me. So he was going to help me find a, a drummer. And actually we almost used uh, Billy Joel's longtime drummer, Liberty DeVito. We were going to use him because Liberty had done, we probably could have gotten him, but I would have had to have flown him down from New York because Liberty for a time had lived in Orlando. And then in the mid to late 90s, while he was still with Billy Joel, he lived in Orlando because real estate in New York was too crazy. And so we came down to Orlando. And, and because of that, he met a lot of the same people that I know and play regularly with. So a lot of people knew Lib. And he's like, well, I could probably get Liberty. I'm like, that would be awesome. Billy Joel is one of my favorite artists, but we ended up going with a guy that I had already known, but I had known him primarily as a singer, uh, a drummer named Randy Nichols, who is like, everybody needs a friend and a cheerleader like Randy Nichols. He's just this lovely, lovely, beautiful human being. He's, he's love and light 24 hours a day. He's a ridiculously talented drummer. He's an amazing vocalist. He's an incredible producer. He's an even better human than all those things. And I can't find a single, not that I've looked, but if I tried to find a single person to say something bad about him, it'd be impossible. And Randy and I used to do in the late nineties, we used to do session work together as vocalists. So I kind of knew Randy, but I just hadn't seen him in years. So Randy comes in on drums and uh, that's the start of the project. So life happens. I'm 99% done with the entire album. I just got to lay some vocals down and then mix it. So Ballerina, to get back to that, I think I wrote this, I was really into early John Mayer at the time, so it's, and you'll hear that influence. Heavier Things had just come out. There was a song on it called Only Heart, and there was something about the chorus, something about the song. I got my only heart. I think that's the name of the song. I've listened to it in years, but I'm like, that's cool. I want to write, I want to rewrite that song, which is something that 
I like to do, I know a lot of singer songwriters probably do this. If you're watching, maybe you agree with this or you relate to this, but like I, I'll hear songs that I like and I, and I, in my mind, I, I try and think, all right, I want to rewrite that song. And what I mean by that is I want to take what, what, what jumps out to me about that song, what makes it special, what makes it cool. I want Sorry, to I, keep, I keep hushing my son. I'm sure you oh, saw me. Right. It's all right. No, it's all right. It's, it's fine. So when I say rewrite a song, I, it means I want to, I want to take what I like about that song. I want to deconstruct it, run it through the filter of me and see what comes out. And it sounds nothing like that song. And I've done it with a few songs, but I remember thinking that song kind of inspired it. And lyrically it was inspired by a girl that I had dated. The, the term, the title ballerina comes from, I had been dating uh, this girl who actually, no, I hadn't dated her yet. When I wrote the song, I was trying to date her and I eventually did get to date her. Um, but she played bell at the beauty and the beast show that my acapella group did the pre-show for. So when we were really good friends and I just thought she was amazing and, and had just this huge crush and been in love with her for so long. And so our, the song was called ballerina. She wasn't a ballerina, but she, it just made sense in the environment of all these dancers around us when we were at work. Um, but it kind of was an amalgamation of several different girls that I was dating around that time. Um, musically, what I like about it is I'm a, I'm a melody whore. I, I, I'm really drawn to like those earworms. I don't think, I don't think pop music should be a dirty word. I think you can write good, smart, pop songs and put some nutritious musical elements or lyrical elements into it. And that's kind of been what I've tried to do with, so with this song, um, there's key shifts that you don't expect. And it's just kind of fun. I, I really like it. It's got kind of a early two thousands, John Mayer, um, before he went all granola country on born and raised, all that stuff. So it's, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I'm playing all the guitars, doing all the vocals, Randy Nichols on drums, Jeff Halsey on bass, and my good buddy John Sparling on the keyboard. So I hope right. you enjoy. So we're going to take a moment. We're going to listen to Ballerina, and we'll be right back with Eric Winger. Ready? 
That was Eric Winger's Ballerina. Uh, you're listening to Three Questions in a Song. Um, what we're going to do next is I'm going to go ahead and let last, last episode's guest ask the third question, as we always do. Okay. And, and this is why I said you didn't know why it was so important that you brought up Winger. Go ahead, Bobby. Well, you ask yours. Yeah. So my question of what's Eric Winger? Eric Winger. My question of Eric Winger is how many times are you asked, is Kip Winger related to you? That's and, my question. And the fact that he's originally from Pennsylvania really plays right into that. So <laughs> there you have it. I get called Kip a lot, you know. Um, I'll tell you, like, like, like we talked about before the show is that I think that Winger is a great band. Beavis and Butthead were completely wrong about them. He had Rod Morgenstein from the Dixie Dregs on drums. Paul Taylor, who years later toured with Steve Perry on a solo tour as the keyboard player. You had um, Reb Beach on guitar. I think, who's Reb play with now? He plays with... Uh, White Snake. White Snake. Yeah. <laughs> and and Kip, um, Kip someone else, too. Yeah, he plays with... Yeah, he's he's killing it. And Kip Winger's voice and the ballerina, the spinning ballerina bass player stuff, like, I saw them. I, I get asked that question all the time. And I remember... My dad was a, it was my dad that introduced me to the band. So my dad was a pilot when I was growing up. He was a captain, so he was never home. He was home maybe two days of the week. And I remember he came home one day with the Winger CD. He bought it simply because of the name. I think he had heard the first single, which was Madeline. Madeline I think that was the first single. I think, I think he had heard that, heard the name, and then he went out and bought it. And then he bought us tickets, the whole family, mom, dad, me and my brother. I don't think my sister went um, to see Winger open up on their first tour for Bad Company. So, so what a great show, right? It's great, two great bands. And But it was at this, the no longer there Syria Mosque. That's where we saw the show. And uh, I remember rushing to the stage. My brother and I got to the very front of the stage for Winger's performance. I got to slap Kip Winger in his hand. No. I get asked that a lot. Yeah. I can never call my band that. No. Nope. Maybe, maybe winger <laughs> dot, dot, dot also. <laughs> so, no, very proud. And what I told him was, I said, you know, he is currently in Florida, but he is originally from the Pittsburgh area. So I'm sure that happened a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It sure did. It sure did. Um, with you know, Reb is from this area. Kip, Fox Kip Chapel, is right? yep. yep. Um, yeah, great band. That first album was amazing. Second album was good too. I saw them. Uh, I saw them again. Open up for Kiss. I think it was the Hot in the Shade tour. It's funny the things you remember. I remember my first Kiss concert was January sixteenth, nineteen eighty eight, Civic Arena. Love Gun tour or Crazy Nights tour. Love Gun was the opening song, um, and Ted Nugent was the opening act. You said that that the um, album's like ninety nine percent done. Yeah. Do you have a release date picked? I don't. Um, I just I just have to drop a few lead vocals on it. A lot of it. There's some more stuff that's pretty much ready to be mixed. At this point, it's just. It's just the expense. And I've got a really great guy who was actually the drummer of my 
for a short time or for a long time, but a drummer of the British rock band I played with at Epcot, uh, Stephen Shapiro, who's just, he's, he's a great musician. He's got a great musician's mind, great drummer and a great audio mixer. He's does bands, a lot of band stuff. And, um, he, he mixed ballerina and he mixed the other tune rescue me and uh, he does a great job. So it's really just at this point coming up with enough money to do it where you don't, you know, in the middle of a pandemic where yeah. all your jobs have gone away. So I, I don't have a date. I remember in 2000, <laughs> I remember in 2017 when I got divorced, I said, it'll be, this will be done in 2017. So I've been making excuses for three years. So I want to predict um, within a year from now, the album will either be done or I'll have at least released the songs, maybe not as a complete 14 song collection, but I'll have at least released the songs two or three at a time on, you know, as singles, something. Well, once you have them officially released, Yes. Um, give me a link to where it can be purchased and I'll add it to, awesome. to this show. We'll do. Um, I want, I want to thank you for coming on episode number 40. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and uh, what <laughs> I, I'm really bad at ending the show. The beginning is good for me. The, it's great. The endings I'm terrible at. In fact, um, are you familiar with John Lane? You know, you, I do know John Lane. I yeah. figured you would. Yeah. Um, so John Lane recorded some outros for me. So nice. what they're going to hear next is John Lane closing the show because I'm terrible at it. <laughs> awesome. Cool. So well, for those of you, for those of you that were hanging out with us tonight, I want to thank you for hanging out as well. And as always go to build the scene.com podcast, your scene.com or uh, PA rock show.com to find out all the stuff that I have my hands into um, weekly. <laughs> This has been episode number 40, and uh, we'll catch you on the 15th with, oh, you almost let, you almost got off. I thought you were going to ask me to ask after the taping. Yeah, I got to ask my question, right? Yeah, you have to ask your question. Okay. Um, so it's Spider Accomplice. That was your homework assignment. Spider Accomplice, yeah. I did I did a little bit of a, of a, of a deep dive on this band, and I really, I really dig um, what I saw. It, it, it reminds me of the best of Evanescence and uh, LA based rock band won a bunch of awards. Um, yeah, really cool music. I tried to think of a question. Um, and I, I think this is just what I keep coming back to. Uh, it's not specifically about their music. Um, but I, I'm interested in like how how have they connected and kept kept connected to their audience um, through this pandemic? Like how have they how have they continued to perform when nobody's have they have they done the Zoom concert? Um, like what have they done? What challenges have have they found besides the obvious one? Like everybody's got to stay inside and you can't congregate and. Um, what creative ways have they tried or discovered to maybe get around the limitations of how we can perform and interact with an audience? Cause that's really what it's all about. You know, 
and and they they have a pretty big following online too so it'll be interesting to see what they say yeah i can't wait to hear it so they're doing great work keep it up guys so now we're gonna let you hear from john lane and uh and uh check us out on the 15th when the interview is three questions in a song with spider accomplice all right thanks bill thank you This episode of Three Questions of a Song has ended, but be sure to subscribe to be introduced to more on-site music from around the globe. Don't forget to rate and review the show, and we'll see you on the next episode.